Hello, listener, and welcome to Straight Shot Health Talk. This is the podcast that provides honest and straightforward information about health, wellness, and how to survive our crazy healthcare system. This is for people who want to focus on getting well instead of just treating symptoms. Sound like you? Then let's get started. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Straight Shot Health Talk. I am your host, Dr. Kevin Kukaro. Today's episode is not only going to be on the podcast, but it will also be broadcast on YouTube. If you're a little bit more visual person, I'm going to have some slides there so you can follow along with me. Uh, So it'll be a little bit different opening here, but same great substance. All right. So today's episode is change is vital for health. Here's how to do it. Now, how did I get interested in this? For those of you who know my background story, um, and you can see a picture of me on the YouTube site. You know, I'm an anesthesiologist. Uh, I trained in Chicago, University of Chicago, and then I also did a fellowship in pain medicine at the University of Michigan. And after I finished all that, I went into group practice in the military. The Navy had paid for my medical school training. Great experience, great experience. Some frustration, you know, there's a lot of bureaucracy and things in the military, but the biggest one I had is I thought with all these other people practicing around me, not recognizing what a, you know, that it was just amazing amounts of learning going on. But I thought, being arrogant me, that if I could see a patient and do a procedure on them and then follow them up when it came to chronic pain anyway, that my outcomes would be dramatically different because somehow I was this young hotshot. So when my commitment came up, I left the military and went as a solo specialist with a medical group. And what I found and not too long was that my outcomes, my differences were not that different than what I was in the Navy. And remember, for outcomes for me, you know, people are saying, oh, yeah, one in five people seem to get better. Well, mine is like that's four in five people that aren't. And the one in five people, maybe they're, I can't even call it getting better. If you're having to go back to the doctor again and again and again, that is not getting well. What you're doing is just limping along in, in treating sickness. Okay. And it was very frustrating to me. Um, whole big, long story there. But eventually I started going, well, what is it? Why is this problem with chronic pain? And in a lot of ways, it, it is a, um, describes what's happening with healthcare in general. All right. So enough of that. Why is change important for health? Well, let's look at what we have first. You know, really, let's look at our healthcare system. So the U.S. healthcare system is projected to spend in 2014 $3.8 trillion. All right. That number is astronomical. If you think that the population of Oregon, where I live, is about 4 million. If we took what we spent on healthcare in one year and just gave it to everybody in Oregon, almost every man, woman, and child in the state would be a millionaire. I mean, that is just frankly astounding. And then when you compare that number, 3.8 trillion, and we look at other world economies, that's greater than the gross domestic product of Germany, an entire country's economy. They're estimated to be $3.4 trillion, and they're the fourth largest economy in the world. I mean, it is, and we're, it's astounding to me. And we are spending that much just on our healthcare system alone. Now, what do we get for this? Well, we get to be 42nd in the world in life expectancy. That's from the CIA website. We get to be in worse health. There was an interesting study that compared American adults age 50 to 75, and at all levels of wealth, they reported worse health than their European counterparts. And yet we are spending two and a half times more on healthcare than the number two country on the list. Now, why is this? 
Well, we have to really kind of look at what we focus our attention on. What are we directing our resources in healthcare towards? And if we look at that, 95%, 95% of our healthcare dollars are spent on direct medical services. That meaning the things that we're doing to you directly, the hospitals, the payments, the surgeries, the injections, the drugs, and so Yet only 10% of the deaths in this country are really from lack of medical care, meaning that there is inadequate amount of medical care, inadequate access to it. In 70%, I think I've said this in prior episodes, 70% of the diseases that we're spending this money on, 95% of our healthcare dollars and 95% of $3.8 trillion, 70% of those dollars are going towards the treatment of chronic diseases. And the vast majority of chronic diseases are what we would call chronic lifestyle diseases, diseases of behavior and lifestyle. And so much so, when you look at the actual deaths, the things that make the major difference in this country is behavior and lifestyle choices. 40% of our deaths are attributed to lifestyle. Um, And it's probably a little bit more than that because if you look at the five health domains that they study, behavior, genetics, social circumstances, meaning how you live, where you live, the environment you're living, um, environmental exposure, and limitations of medical care, the first two, behavior and our genetics, are the biggest influencers. And in genetics, as people have heard me talk about before, I don't like to look at it as, you know, this... um, uh, this destiny. But genetics is not predestiny. What it is is a vulnerability, and it's a vulnerability to basically bad lifestyle choices for many things in, with genetics. Okay, there are some exceptions to that. But for most of them, when people say oh, it's in my genes, it's really saying, well, it just means that you're vulnerable to it. But if you were really working towards it, we would actually say, well, what can I do to, to patch up those vulnerabilities? You know, if you have a wall in your house is weak, you're probably going to reinforce that wall. At least that's what I would do. And so overall, lifestyle choices then are the single greatest influencer on our health. And because of this, they're absolutely fundamental for health. But as we all know, lifestyle change is very hard. Now, here's the problem, though. We cannot wait for healthcare to fix this. All right. I've seen these things mentioned. I follow up on the journals. And this is recognizable by a lot of uh, the academics in medicine. I mean, it's not like this is just a new thing where people are saying behavior and lifestyle choices is the number one concern. People say it all the time. But there, no one in healthcare seems to be addressing a very good fix. The payment model, as I've talked about in uh, previous episodes, it, it doesn't facilitate. It's not meant to have these appointments where you can actually address behavioral change in an adequate fashion. The terms on the table aren't very good. The Accountable Care Act has come out, and that has given people more access to insurance coverage, but not access to doctors. And again, it doesn't cure this fundamental issues of time. And to be honest, healthcare doesn't even know how to do this. All right. And if you, you know, people are talking about physicians somehow changing behavior and uh, these strategies that physicians are going to change behavior. It's not going to happen. And I go to some physician websites. There are ones that are specific just to us. And this comment was one of the most honest comments that I could find. And it is so true. And this anonymous physician said, I was not trained to know how to promote health, but to diagnose, monitor, and treat disease. And that is very true. So if we're asking people who are not trained to do it to actually provide somehow a, a cure for behavior and how to to change our behaviors, we're going to be waiting a long time. So like with all these things on Straight Shot Health, what is it that you can do for yourself? Well, there's actually lots of things you, that you can do if you know how. We're in this fantastic age when we have resources and we can figure these things out as long as you know what questions to ask. 
So how is it that we change our lifestyle then? I'm going to provide a, uh, a brief foundation here as well as a possible framework for you. There is more to this, absolutely. Um, I could talk about this for multiple different episodes, but I will tell you, if you just take these first two steps and apply them to your life, you're going to be about 95, 99% ahead of the game. All right. Now, the foundation for change, particularly for behavior change, is mindset. In a couple episodes, I talked about mindset. I talked about uh, Dr. Carol Dweck's book, uh, but I'm just going to touch on it really quickly again because this is such an important topic. And the reason that mindset is critical for change is because there's two basic types. There's that fixed mindset. The fixed mindset is really ability-driven. It believes that you have innate abilities. I like to think of it in some ways, again, as those people that are really just just believe to the to the core that is genetics that, that determine everything for them that somehow you were either good at something or you aren't you're either good at math or you're not you're good at sports or not and what this sets up this this drive that this in this ability mindset where you think that everything is in you and that's who you are that you identify purely by what those abilities are with who you are is it sets up the situation where failure is personal blame all right and when you fail, it hurts because that reflects your core. Now, that's compared to the growth mindset. The growth mindset is very much effort-driven. It says the more effort you put in, into things, the more the benefits you're going to find. It's not ability. Again, it's effort, practice, You know, figuring it out. If you are failing, failing is not personal blame because if you're not, you know, when you fail, it's not that you are not good enough. It's the fact that you either didn't put enough effort in, you didn't know the right information, you know, there was other hindrances. But failure becomes learning because it teaches you what isn't working. That is critically important. You need to know what it isn't working as much as you need to know what, as what is working. Now, this is not self-help mumbo jumbo as I've talked about in the in my past episode specifically just on mindset. And I would really recommend people go listen to that. But this is scientifically proven. You can teach this mindset and outcomes improve. This has really been seen a lot in education. But when we look at behavior change, we should start looking at other models outside of healthcare. Because I said healthcare isn't good. So let's get rid of that fixed mindset and use the growth mindset and recognize that we can change, that when we stumble, it isn't bad, as long as we take that stumble and we learn from it. Now, if the mindset, growth mindset, is a foundation for behavioral change, what then is the framework? And the framework that I'm going to use with you today is a really simple framework and I like it. It's from another one of my favorite books called Switch by Chip Heath and Dan Heath. Now, this book was not exactly written for the healthcare field, but when I read it, it really hit home because once I read it, I rec really realized that our healthcare system is more broken than, uh, than we think it is. And often what we in healthcare believe is the major problem is not what we need to be focusing on. So the framework that they use in the book Switch is this, this concept of the rider, the elephant, and the path. And by the way, I'm not stealing this from the, the Heath brothers. They stole this uh, from a psychologist named Jonathan Haidt, but it's a great framework. And it, it's a good way to visualize this because if you look at the rider, the elephant, and the path, when you think of you see this little rider and you sit on top of the elephant, the rider is the rational mind, the conscious mind, the guy who can really read and understand information. But underneath them is this huge, big, looming, powerful animal, the elephant. And that really is this emotional drivers, emotional, strong, meaningful situations. That's what drives that elephant. And then lastly, the path, and they talk about the path being really the environment that you are in. And you can see if you have a path, 
that is very smooth, that rider and the elephant aren't going to have a very difficult time going down. In fact, the elephant will choose to go down and the rider's rider is going to go along with it. Um, in a lot of ways, if you have a bad habit pattern or, or have been doing some particular lifestyle thing like smoking or maybe you have bad eating habits, what you've done and is you really ingrained in a path, a very clear path that allows your rider sitting on that elephant to just go down that without thinking. All right. And to conscientiously change, change that, we have to take that rider, we have to get him to see where he's going, and then we have to get him to goad that elephant and then plow through the environment. And there's some tricks with the environment, by the way, that you can clear the path a little bit better, but really to get him marching down that until he stomps all that, all, you know, all the trees and bushes out of the way and he makes a new path so it becomes on auto autopilot. Now let's start with the rider here. And I like this quote from the book. It's talking about directing the rider, giving that rider direction. It says, what looks like resistance is often a lack of clarity, meaning if you don't know where you're trying to go, it's hard to get there. And the way that you do that, if you're trying to engage that rider, is to get specific. And you need to know what exactly do you want? What's the outcome that you're looking for? What is the behavior that you're trying to address? And then what specifically is it that you want to achieve? Okay, it doesn't do a lot of good to say, I just want to lose weight. No, what you really want to say is, I want to lose 25 pounds. Um, here's the reasons behind it. This is the date I want to have that weight off. You want very specific, measurable outcomes that you can focus on. And then you want to take those and you want to write down when and where you're going to act. When and where, um, is, there's some interesting science behind just that act of writing down when and where. But you want to write, you know, if, I, if, you're, if you're going to lose weight because you want to either change your diet and maybe you want to add exercise, you're going to say, I'm going to uh, cook every morning this type of meal, uh, avoiding, you know, uh, a lot of simple sugars and refined carbohydrates and things. And every morning I'm going to do that. If you, it's an exercise plan, you're going to say, I'm going to the, going to the gym Monday, Wednesday, Fridays at 6 a.m., uh, here's my shoes. I'm going to put them next to the bed. But you want to write down when and where you're going to act. And just that act alone of writing this down, of committing to it on paper, is going to help you. Now, you also want to focus on what you will do, not what you won't do. And what that basically means is don't focus on the negative aspects. If you're trying to change your diet, focus on the pot, you know, the good foods that you want to eat. You want to eat more vegetables, say, I will eat more vegetables. Don't say, I will stop eating more, I don't know, Rice Krispies or whatever the case may be. We want to focus on really those positive type of behaviors. Focusing on the positives allows us to really engage some of our different parts of our brain. I can't go into it as much right now. We're already at 13 minutes here and I have a lot more to cover. But focusing on the positive, you're going to... Uh, oh, man, I just want to talk about this, but I can't. Focus on the positive. And then you finally, before the rider-specific thing, is you want to commit and do the action. Okay, really, you know, take that drive. That's what the rider is very good at. Focus on what he wants, and then he can commit and do because he has that rational thought. Now, for you, though, you also want to use the rider to monitor the progress. And using this rider to monitor the progress is you focus on the actions taken. What have you already done? And then try to increase the number of those. So, again, if you're exercising, how often did you get to the gym? Try to increase that number. How long are you on whatever? Try to increase that number. And just like what we talked about before, focusing on the positive actions, not the negative. There's Again, there's a reason behind it, which I can't get into. 
And the other thing that you can do to kind of help with the writer is to find role models because a role model provides you an example of what is working. And they can also help you along because they can tell you what worked for them. It's sort of like skipping ahead because instead of having to learn or do you know little mistakes here and there, is you can find a role model to say, you know what, you probably shouldn't do that. I would do X, Y, and Z. So a role model is very helpful. Now, in this day and age, Remember I said, one of the great things about this day and age is we have some hugely powerful information available to us. And the internet provides an abundance to us. There are so many people out there that have changed their life. There are so many ways that you can find people that lost 100 pounds, that people that started a new exercise program, people who have changed the way that they've eaten and really helped their health for it. And that's what the internet does, okay? There's a lot of bad things with the internet, absolutely. But let's if we focus on the positive aspect, it is now m- way easier to find role models, active role models, and you can actually communicate with them. I've been shocked at how accessible people have been on the internet, where you can really email their website, you can just find their email, and people respond. They're much more approachable, you know, especially if you ask them, uh, you know, you want to be nice and considerate to them and, and not take a lot of your time. But if you ask them nicely for some suggestions and say, you know, basically you admire them, thank you for the help that you've that, that uh, you've gotten from their website, and they will often respond. I mean, it, it is astounding. And you use this, we're going to contradict this, I'm going to say, with pre-internet. If you were living in a small town or even a big city in a different neighborhood where you didn't have this access you know, it becomes much, much harder to find these positive role models. And we have an abundance. So amazing thing that we have with the Internet. All right, let's talk about the elephant now. So the elephant, again, that big, large, emotional beast that that writer, that little teeny writer is is riding upon trying to change these habit patterns. And again, another uh, little quote here from Switch. What looks like laziness is often exhaustion. That's true. So how is it that we motivate this elephant? How do we keep it moving? How do we not keep it from being exhausted? And really what you want to do is remember what the elephant is. It's a strong, emotional-driven beast. And so you want to find the feeling that's going to drive that beast forward. And that becomes really a question of what's your why? Why is it that you want to make change? And I like to take take this why concept and divide it in two different ways. You can use both a negative and a positive to it. And I would say, what is it that you are dissatisfied about? That's a big one. Use that dissatisfaction. Why is it that you want to change your weight? What aren't you happy with uh, with your uh, with your health? Is it that you can't go up a f- flight of stairs before you're dropping your breath? Can you not you know uh, play with your kids before you're exhausted? Are you um, having difficulty getting around? Are you too large to sit in seats? You know, use that and and be frank about it and write it down. You are dissatisfied because of why. Now, then you can also focus on positive things as well. What is that you are trying to work to? Why is it that you want to achieve this? Framing that again as uh, I want to, uh, why I want to lose this weight is so that I can live a healthier life and enjoy my spouse and we can uh, spend our golden years together or I want to feel better about my self-esteem, you know, things like that. And then lastly, what you want to do is you want to change can'ts to won'ts. And I did an entire episode, I think it was episode 15, on just that, episode, that just this concept alone of changing can't to won't. Because when you say can't, what you're doing is you're basically cutting off any sort of potential change. Can't is very much a fixed mindset word, by the way. It's a belief that there is some sort of innate ability and that you can or can't do something. And for the vast majority of things, it's not can'ts, okay? 
the amazing thing about human ingenuity is if we have enough time, effort, uh, and motivation, we can do just about everything. I mean, we fly, we've been to outer space, we've devised amazing machines. It's not a question of can't. It's more a, a, a question of won't. And when we say won't, all right, it's empowering. It's also scary because it means you're taking responsibility for your health. But what won't does is it allows you to change later on. So we really want to change that can't statement to a won't statement. Okay, there is hardly anything that you can't do. There is much more of things that you won't do. And as long as we're honest with ourselves and say, I'm not going to do this, um, you're going to be able to change in the future if you do decide to in the, in, in, in the future. All right. The other thing that you want to do is shrink the change. And what the shrinking the change is, is you want to get, get so overwhelmed with this process of change, behavioral change, that you don't get started at all. You know, this is two things. One, if you get too overwhelmed and you start making too grandiose goals, you know, part of it, the, the little rider up there is not going to know where he's supposed to go. And the second part, the elephant is just going to be too overwhelmed. He's going to say that journey is way too long. I'm too hungry. I can't do that. I, I, it's just too long for me. And you heard the elephant right there said, can't. Right. And the elephant will say that because he's an emotional little beastie and he doesn't have that conscious thought of the writer. So he doesn't understand that can't is a bad thing to say. But anyway, to shrink the change, to really kind of uh, to bring that outcome that you want a little closer to you, you want to remember to take first steps first. So instead of if you're going to try to lose 100 pounds or 50 pounds or 75 pounds, you want to really say, OK, I want to lose 100 pounds, but I really want to lose five pounds by X. Small first steps. And one of the things that we can get paralyzed on is when we look 10 steps down the road uh, and then we stumble because we haven't really or we've forgotten to take the first steps that are right there in front of us. The second thing that we want to do is small, consistent action. All right. Daily steps every day. Consistency is key with this. And recognize overall when it comes to behavioral change, it's a marathon, not a sprint. So there is a great Actually, there's a couple of great uh, articles. I'll th see if I can remember to link these up in the uh, show notes here. It talks about the whole principle of the 20-mile march, which was with, um, uh, oh, I can't remember, Shackleton. And oh, I can't remember my history here. My history teacher would kill me. But basically, it was about the discovery of the South Pole. And there was two different uh, um, expeditions that were going that route. The first one uh, really made a, uh, the first leader made a point of only going, I think it was about 17 miles a day. And rain or snow, blizzard or not, it was 17 miles every day. If it was a good day, they went 17 miles and they stopped. If it was a bad day, they went 17 miles and they stopped. But it was that consistency, that marathon approach to it, because they were doing that behavior, they ended up getting there successfully and making it back. Now, the other guy didn't do a, um, didn't focus on the race to the South Pole as a marathon and thought of it as more of a sprint. So they would go maybe 30 miles in one day. But if they had bad weather, they wouldn't do anything at all. And so they had these hurchies and lurchies down through the thing. Uh, I don't think they ever made it to the South Pole, and I think almost all of them died. So view this as a marathon for you. And then lastly, you want to be a realistic optimist. And what that basically means is, yes, you have the potential to do anything. All right? You really do. But you also have to recognize it's going to be tough to do it. So as long as you say, I want this end goal, I want to lose 100 pounds, I want to be able to do 15 pull-ups, I want to, you know, eat uh, more vegetables, you can do it. But if you allow yourself to realize it is going to be difficult, so it's achievable, but it's difficult. And that way, when you actually start hitting some of the stumbling blocks, because you will, because we will all have little stumbling blocks. If we didn't, then it wasn't a challenge to begin with. And, um, 
you probably didn't need any help to get there. But when you hit those stumbling blocks, it's not going to be a surprise if you've already sort of anticipated in the front. You're going to say, oh, I knew this was going to be hard. This just sort of confirms my belief. I need to work a little bit harder. I need some extra tools or whatever. All right. Lastly, let's talk about shaping the path, shaping the environment that you're around. And I like this quote as well. Some great quotes in this book, uh, Switch. This is, what looks like a people problem is often a situational problem. So really good, not from a personal standpoint, but really about the environment they live in. Now, how do we use this to our advantage? Well, make the surroundings that you're in support your goal. So number one, don't tempt fate. And the example I'm going to use here is alcoholism. If you were trying to stop drinking alcohol or if you're trying to quit smoking, the last thing that you want to do is hang out in those areas that you drank or smoke in. All right. Don't make this harder than it needs to be. If you have a problem with, um, you know, overeating, then you want to make or overeating a certain type of food, ice cream or chips or whatever, then don't have those around you. Okay. Uh, you know, try to go to this grocery store in the morning when you have a little bit more willpower, you know, toughen up before you get in there and make sure that you don't buy it. Don't put it in your house. If you have other people in your family that like this stuff, you need to talk to them and say, this is an important goal for me. We cannot have these around. Um, so don't tempt fate because there's going to be moments of time when we are all weak. The other part about it is, is changing your environment. Now, if you have a chance to get out, one of the things that you can when you're changing a habit or making lifestyle changes is if you get out of a rut, if you're getting out of the environment that you're in, sometimes it's easier to actually to change your behavior at that point in time. Now, again, if you are um, trying to avoid something like smoking or alcohol, you want to stay out of it. Go away. Don't go to the areas where people are smoking. Don't go into the bars where you're tempted to drink again. Get out of that environment. And the other thing that you can do is build a tribe. And what is it meant by tribe? There's a lot of talk about tribe on the internet. Well, tribe is a, a, a group of like-minded individuals, people who can support you throughout your attempt to change. Again, the internet provides lots more tools for doing this. There's now websites, there's forums, there's membership sites, there's Facebook support groups. Use these things, and rather we can complain about technology all we want, but let's use the positives about it building a tribe, a tribe that allows you to support each other. Because there's a couple things. Once you're around in a peer group that are trying to do the things that you want to do yourself, you are, you see other people succeeding. So there's strong examples for you that allow you to proceed and even believe that you can do it. It's critical that you can believe that you can change. The other thing that it does is that there's always going to be moments of time when we're weak and there's going to be moments of time when we're strong. And when you are in these tribe situations or in part of these website communities, if you post and just say, hey, I'm having a hard time, or if you don't are on the internet and you're you can call somebody, I'm having a hard time, but somebody who's familiar with the goal that you're trying to achieve, if you call them, they are much more likely to support you and say, you know what, I know this is hard, but you can do it, okay? And then vice versa, there's going to be moments of time when they may feel weak. And if they know they can support you and they talk to you and say, hey, I'm having a hard time. I'm, I, 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 you know, I'm, I'm going to take a cigarette or I, I need to smoke real bad. You're more likely to be able to generate some strength to help them. Very, very powerful tool. So a tribe of like-minded people going towards the common goal with you. Now, being prepared, though, when you're trying to do habit change is not just for the Boy Scouts. And so there's a couple warning things that we need to know. The big one 
is that our self-control and willpower is a limited resource. Can whole new episode on that, hopefully in the future. But it is a depletable resource. And the things that can make you uh, lose self-control is halt. And I love this thing called halt raises the red flag. And halt really comes out of the addiction literature when people um, are trying to quit you know, alcohol or quit drugs. Uh, what halt stands for is hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. And when you are in those situations, you are in a depleted mode, meaning you've already drained some, some energy, you've drained your willpower, you are much more likely to fall back into bad habits at that time. So if you are hungry, angry, lonely, or tired, that's when you should have a little flag and say, whoa, I am in, uh, I'm going to be a little bit weaker here. I need to be careful with the strategies I'm doing. I need to be careful of the environment. Uh, this is a big one for me. I've noticed that if I'm hungry, sometimes I don't even know I'm hungry. All I can notice is I'm getting angry and irritated. And when I'm angry and irritated, that is a cue that I'm getting hungry. And it does much better if I can address that quickly before I want to eat stuff that I probably shouldn't be eating. The other thing that you can do is use your weaknesses as strengths. Remember I said the root of that growth mindset is recognizing that when you fail, okay, or you stumble, it's a learning lesson. So rather than beating yourself over the head when if you're, you're again, trying to quit smoking and one night you smoke again, rather than be, you know beating that over your head again, say, what was it? Look at that situation. What was it that caused you to smoke? Were you in a place where you had smoked lots previously and maybe you shouldn't have been there? Were you around people that encourage you to smoke and maybe you shouldn't have been around with them? But use those failures, use those weaknesses as a strength so that you can identify for the future how you would address those. And it's not going to happen every time, but if you are at least addressing it, uh, you're going to strengthen yourself so that it is less likely to happen when you get in those situations again. Now, the other concept which I absolutely love is some, a principle called failing small. And I think it's very interesting when we're trying to do behavior change, we're trying to change our lifestyles, we're trying to make better choices, we often have a tendency to fail big. Meaning if we smoke a cigarette and we were like, oh, I smoked a cigarette, I've ruined it. I had a 10-day break where I wasn't smoking. Well, I'm just going to, it's over now, I'll just smoke a whole bunch and then I'll start again tomorrow. Don't do that. You are hurting yourself. And the way I kind of picture this is if you make a mistake, say, cutting an a carrot, right? You got the cutting board, you got a knife, and you nick yourself. It's the same idea. Something happened and it hurts you. But you don't say, oh God, I cut my finger. This is, you know, too bad. I broke my streak of not being not cutting myself with this knife. I'm just gonna keep cutting, I'll cut my finger off and I'll start again tomorrow. No, 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 you don't do that. Same idea when it comes to habit change. If you were trying to change your diet and you screw up, fail small. If you are trying to quit alcohol and you screw up, fail small. Don't keep digging the hole. All right. All right. Last little important tip here. Our healthcare system focuses on the rider. Now, what does that mean? It is in healthcare. So this is one of the reasons this book meant so much to me. We are constantly being barraged that we must provide people more information. That somehow, the, if if patients and uh, people accessing healthcare had all this information, they're magically going to change. And if we can explain all that information, they would magically make better decisions. And it is absolutely. 
false. If you start looking into behavioral high psychology, if you start looking in the way that people make choices, if you start looking at the way that people make changes, more information doesn't work. We need just enough so that we know where we're going. But after that, we need to recognize that we have these other parts. We have these strong emotional drivers, that big elephant. We have the environment and our habits that we have to overcome. And we must use that motivation. We must use emotion. We must use our environment to create real change. All right. So for summary for this one, mindset is critical. All right. Absolutely. And you're going to hear in in future episodes, I will talk about mindset. I will talk about it until I'm blue in the face because I think it is so important. I think it's so important because also, although it's a simple in theory uh, idea, if you've been a fixed mindset person, including myself here, because I said I didn't read that book until I was 39 and spent 39 years being a fixed mindset person, you can still fall into it. And so I'm constantly reminding myself when something occurs, ah, I'm thinking fixed. I need to remember a growth mindset. Okay, so it's constant remembrance here, but critical, 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 critical. There's so much to about mindset uh, that is absolutely vital. Also remember to be clear in what you want. That's important for that writer. Remembering what's your why, using dissatisfaction, what's your reasons, trying to get very strong emotions, strong motivation for you to change. Uh, big ones for me are my kids. I want to be a, a good role model for them. I want them to be healthy, and I recognize that it's my actions that are guiding them to healthy choices, so it's important for me to do that. Strong motivational drive. Taking action, actually commit yourself to doing it, and then remembering when you do fail, because you will fail. We all fail. That that failure is not failing. It's actually a learning process. So resources for this particular lecture, again, Mindset, one of the greatest books of all time by Carol Dweck, and then Switch, How to Change When Things Are Hard by Chip Heath and Dan Heath, both fantastic books, not specifically written for healthcare, but absolutely and critically important if you're trying to change your health or become more well. Now, again, if you have any questions, comments, or confused, or even if you're just interested in more, you can visit this at straightshothealth.com. If you have feedback, you know, I'd love to hear it. Uh, in the comment section there. If you have a review about this, you can leave that on iTunes or Stitcher or Spreaker. And then I also have an interest group. Um, If you go to, it's a rough looking website called stresschallenge.com. I do a lot with stress. And currently I'm really working on programs towards behavioral change. And I have an interest group standing up there that if you are interested in this, you just put your name and your email in. And as those groups, as that program starts developing, I'll let you know. I've spent a lot of time on that a couple of years now. I'm really enjoying it. Um, I have a group that I'm taking through right now. Uh, and it's very exciting to me. So if you are interested in that stuff, you just let me know. Otherwise, this concept should work for you. Is it going to make everything easy? Is it, you know, like the, some easy button you can push? No, it isn't. Um, but it makes things doable for you. And I'm telling you. If you take control of your health through this regard, really start focusing on making active behavioral choices and then using the science that we know is out there to help you do that, you can make changes that will benefit you for the rest of your life. All right, folks. So thank you all so much. It was a great episode for me. I hope that you got a lot of value out of this. Uh, And until next time, stay well. Thanks again.